Alright, welcome back to uh, the Playing Catch-Up Podcast. I'm Brian Foisey, your host. This is our second episode. Woo! We got a great one for you today. Uh, first segment is going to be a Mandalorian Season 2 finale review with my friend Everett Beals, who was kind enough to join. And then I'm going to close out the podcast with a uh, list of 20 recommendations, movies, TV shows, books, Got a couple YouTube channels in there, too. Stuff I enjoyed in 2020 and stuff I think uh, you'd enjoy, especially since we're gonna, probably going to have some more quarantine months before the vaccine is readily available. So, final episode for 2020. Um, hope you enjoy it. All right. Mandalorian talk. So, a couple weeks ago, uh, Chapter 16, The Rescue, came out, which was the final episode of uh season two of the mandalorian um and skipped a week but now we're discussing two weeks after because of the holidays um and i have with me here my good friend everett beals to discuss with me what went down in the episode how this season went and what the future of star wars and disney plus looks like does that sound good it sounds great buddy all right so let's do a quick recap of the episode, and also with some, I don't know, analysis, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, let's get down to it. Get it to it. (laughs) The episode opens with uh, Boba Fett, Mando, Cara Dune, and Fennec Shand capturing Dr. Pershing from a TIE fighter. Um, Any thoughts on Pershing, Everett? Man. (laughs) Pershing takes. That's the doctor guy? Yeah, it's... Oh, yeah. He's kind of he, cool looking. I like his glasses. He almost <laughs> seems kind of out of place. He doesn't... <laughs> he, he looks just, like he's like some else. guy. And they put him in a costume. You know, he's just there. He doesn't have like a funny accent. As in like a Star yeah, Wars he's not, one. He's not British or anything. You know, I, I wish he were, but he isn't. Mm-hmm. That's, that's he not looks a like complaint. a hipster. Yeah, that, that's about it. That's why it's a little strange. Yeah. That's, a, that's, all, just... that's the only take I got about <laughs> so then uh boba fett mando they go to find bo katan and uh Koska reeves to enlist them in their effort to take back baby yoda fett and reeves get into a little scuffle a scuffle uh-huh. uh-huh. fett is re- boba fett's real mad for whatever reason and um boba fett's a clone which we already knew but then the right. two are mad about that for some reason uh and bo katan really wants the dark side in a big way uh, what what is the dark saber? Is it a neutral? Um, yeah, I mean, entity? I asked. In a way, I've asked about it before. I should know before I came here. It's a lightsaber, I think. It's the same properties. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure it's. But a it's lightsaber. not blue. How can I know who's? who's I know the, it's it's if it's, it's evil or not. <laughs> it's not even purple. Um. I think the deal was, maybe, this is completely guessing, so I'll keep it short, that it was a Mandalorian who was also a Jedi. Or maybe it was a Mandalorian who made a sword. I don't know. So I I really can't tell you. And why do they have beef? Why do Boba Fett, Bo-Katan, and Koska Reeves have... It's because of his armor. They say that he's a clone, and he doesn't deserve to wear it. Well, they're also not... 
they don't follow the code. They take off. Their well, they aren't the same they because wear it we. It becomes clear later that, um, Mando like his he's part of like some schism, some faction that broke off, whereas Bo-Katan is, the heir to the throne of the actual Mandalorians. So um, the crew plans out their attack on Moff Gideon's ship, and Doctor Pershing gives them all the information like immediately. And he tells them where the death robots are going to be. The, um, what are they called? The, the yeah, dark the troopers. Dark troopers. He's very obliging. Yeah. Why does he immediately give up all of this info? I <laughs> don't remember. Or maybe it was... It's unclear. Because, like, watching it the first time, I was like, this has got to be all bullshit. Like, he's just setting them up to fail. Right. Um, but then, like... He's completely correct about everything he tells them. And then, like, what happens to that guy? Nothing, Where does he go? Apparently, is he just chilling in there? Maybe the whole he's time? maybe he's just a normal <laughs> scientist. He just wants to get his his work done. But That's what why. happened to him after the after they all so they land on the ship? Right. And he's then still in the we never see him again. Shuttle. And then he he's just, just chilling in there. <laughs> he's just sitting he just, in there. Yeah, that that's what happened. He's watching TV. Um, so the crew engages in a fake battle with Boba's ship and the captured Pershing ship in order to gain access to the Moff Gideon's ship. They send out the TIE fighters instead of allowing them to access, but the crew insists on going into the hangar. Um, they dock into the hangar and they kill some people or something. And Gideon activates the dark troopers and they play their, uh, funny dubstep song. The, the fun song. <laughs> when they're hitting then, the door, uh, you know, the... Yeah, they're getting really upset. And then Mando walks by, and he's like, oh, oh no. Um, but the two groups sort of split up, Fennec Shan, Cara Dune, and Bo-Katan, and Reeves. They all go towards the bridge. Um, and Mando goes to find Baby Yoda. Um, so I know this is a really big trope within the Star Wars universe, and it's sort of like a running joke at this point, but why did the Stormtroopers suck so much at fighting? Mm. Has this ever been established, and why did they just let the ship into the hangar? Like, can they close the door and not let them in? Well, they probably could have. Um, it all happened really fast, though. It, you know, it was it was happening pretty The quickly. Empire takes things slow. Yeah, I mean, I guess it is funny, because, like, in A New Hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi's like, oh, no, these blaster shots are way too uh, accurate for any sand people this is the work of imperial stormtroopers but well you know later they're just like bumbling stumbling fumbling uh dum-dums are we supposed to think that the rebels and the mandalorians are like the most effective and skilled fighting group ever they're definitely pretty good insurgents that's for sure yeah but like a random like han solo person or like luke or leia they also can lay waste to like Dozens of stormtroopers at once without like getting hit. Does that's anybody true. ever get shot by a stormtrooper? That's a main character. Yeah, I mean, Mando. Uh, that's like <laughs> kind of the improvement in this show is like they aren't indestructible and people get hit, but mm-hmm. but it's fine because he has his magic armor, the Beskar. So, but Cara Dune's gun gets jammed for a, like a little while. And how and does they that still work? manage to kill like? How, there are no bullets. There are, no there are dozens parts. of stormtroopers lining every corridor, 
And, like, every place you turn, there's, like, three stormtroopers. Nobody gets shot. Well, they do Her the classic, like... Inactive. Yeah, they just do the, let's go, let's all trickle in one at a time instead of playing defense. That's just the objective there. <laughs> there were several times where they, like, snuck up on them. Like, how did you Yeah, they, they the get the jump on them, out? and then there's that time when they, like, they do the jetpack action, they do a little loop-de-loop and get them from the side... <laughs> Like the raptors from Jurassic Park, it's just—it's all really fun looking. It's really—it looks fun. I mean, it—it it is. <laughs> uh, so the Mando heads towards Grogu, but then he realizes that all the evil Death robots have been engaged and are getting ready to uh, kill him. Um, he fights one of them, and then, like we were talking about before, he gets mortally wounded like twenty times. But it really wins. gives him a run for his money. I mean, he still wins some, by cutting some... his head off. And then he sucks all the other dark troopers into space. Um, I had some other uh, miscellaneous dark trooper questions. Which are? Um, so why did the designers of the, these robots not build in more protection over the neck area where it seems like all the brains are stored? Because Mando just like cuts through it like butter and their head just falls off. Like, well, that was, like, he has like a really... It's very well. We see their armor is pretty much mostly resistant to small arms fire, and it takes his Beskar spear, which he finally uses, which is essentially equivalent to a lightsaber in strength, as we know, right? Right? You're with me here. And yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So I don't think it's so far fetched that um, you know, he can cut through their head and decapitate one. Um, okay. That that made sense to me. Okay, why is there a um, suck all of our amazing fighting robots into space button? Just I suck think them all into space. That's kind of dumb. <laughs> I want to say the Pooped. excuse is you press the button so they can deploy. You know, they get ready and they fly out and go shoot but people. But they sort cause... of fly out in a haphazard manner as if they're, yeah. they're they not They didn't have their, their, their rocket boots ready or whatever. Another question. How is the Empire producing new weapons after it's defeated? Like, it makes sense that they'd be, um, they'd be doing things with, like, their old equipment. But why are they producing new things? And, like, how do they have the resources to do that? Well, it's clear that they still are <laughs> holding on to some installations. We saw that. But that's different from completely building a brand new technology that's really much better than everything you've done before. Well, it seems like it was already <laughs> in the works. And this one guy... It's not like they, I mean, I, this is this is silly because it's made up magic sci-fi world. but <laughs> TV show. You know, TV show. But, I mean, I think the idea is that, you know, this was, there were a lot of, lot of people in this thing. Um, and, <laughs> you know, when the one guy dies and you blow up his big sphere with the laser in it, you know, it's not, you know, they're still around. That's what this is about. So, um, you know, there's little factions, and they, they got stuff, and they got, they got money, yeah. That's they got still building new weapons. They, got, they can make new stuff. Um, final question, and this one is pretty damning. Um, Better be funny. How come, the, how come the First Order in the sequel trilogy doesn't utilize Dark Troopers? So they've um, just created this technology for the, the interwar period of shenanigans, but they don't use them at all when they're fighting the New Republic. Apparently, so, but does that mean? But does that mean that were, those were the only dark troopers in existence? They just stuck all of their amazing new technology on one ship that could easily be destroyed. Possibly. Um, 
I mean, I was about to make some sort of conjecture that they're separate entities and they aren't connected that much, but again, the sequel trilogies are basically made up. They're basically not real, so they can just... Yeah, we're all... This is working towards, we're just gonna retcon that. It doesn't exist anymore. I mean, that'd be fine. That'd be cool. <laughs> at least the at least the Palpatine part at the end. Yeah. Just cut that out of there. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like my main complaint with the Dark Troopers is that, like, all of a sudden they've completely solved everything to do with Stormtroopers. Like, the, um, the Dr. Pershing guy is like, that was the final evolution. We took the humans out of the suits, and then... <laughs> They produce That's this amazing problem. thing, the, the, and they're, they're so easily killed. Not easily, but... Well, they aren't. It's just easy. like, they clearly struggle until people with magic swords show up. Like, I, I, <laughs> I mean, it takes the baby, um, the little baby... That, but that was not that hard. <laughs> Nobody well, was defending the baby. I, I don't think it's, again, that ridiculous, because it's, you know, it's clear that the blasters weren't going to do much. And it took him a long time just to get that one with his Beskar spear, so... I, I hope that clears up your concerns, you know. And I understand that this Mandalorian was produced after Star Wars, um, the, like, the sequel trilogy. Hey, you're right. But also, if you're gonna make up this new... <laughs> if you're gonna produce this new technology, that seems like it's, like, the best thing that the, the Empire could ever do, then, like... Why is it only President One thing? I don't know. I guess it doesn't really make much difference. But. No, no, because they had to they had to build another Death Star because it would be cool. <laughs> That's the only thing that can be scared. I like the idea that the, those were the only Dark Troopers they'd ever made. They're and like, then, let's just test these out on Moff Gideon's ship, and we'll make. Well, I 20. think that's the thing. There's not like some high command that's like doing it it's just like moff gideon was already in the <laughs> moff gideon's little sect of the empire decided to make the well yeah the he's, he's like have. he's like red skull he's just like his little faction he's, he's just, just like, making different stuff yeah they they, they have their own projects because that's what he was doing before he was working on it before the empire fell i presume so <laughs> I, I want a whole i want a whole spin-off series on just about just dark about troopers. dark troopers how it's made how did on they the get here channel. where did they go how can we why did they leave them, see them again? <laughs> why like did they ancient, leave me like ancient aliens yeah yeah you. um so then mando reaches the grogu chamber um <laughs> the grogu chamber <laughs> grogu's little hiding spot um moff gideon is holding the dark saber over his head and grogu is in handcuffs um, and Mandy's like, I don't, I don't really care about the saber, man. Just give me Grogu. And then, uh, Gideon's like, okay, here you go. Surprise, I want to kill you. Uh, and then Mando and Gideon do bad. Baby Yoda seems pretty chill about the whole thing. Well, yeah. Like, he, he doesn't really, he, like, he's upset, but. He can't, it seems he, like is all he, he can emote is, like, sad, curious, and, uh, uh, maybe <laughs> a little happy. But do you think Baby Yoda knows what's happening to him? That's the trouble. Like, I thought he was like... What range of a... consciousness does this little monster have? <laughs> I feel like he has like a completely developed internal dialogue. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. He just can't speak. 
which is strange because he responds to his name. He already had training. He, like, according to Ahsoka, he's consumed by anger, is teetering on the dark side. (laughs) He is absolutely (laughs) seething. He's he's one step away from killing all the Padawans, just like Anakin. So, I mean... And it, and that's weird because he is just a little baby who hardly can move around. Maybe the Yoda species is just like really stupid, and that's why baby. That's why Yoda talks the way he does. Well, I don't know. He he's, never. He, he's got a small brain. But he's so wise. But he's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. But he like hobbles around and he's like. Well, he's nine hundred years old. He's really that old. Doesn't sound very smart. Oh, so he can't he can't make funny noises like Fozzie maybe Bear. He's, maybe he's wise, but is he intelligent? I, I would argue no. Okay, that's definitely <laughs> all right. Something to so, consider. So here you're wrong, but we'll we'll move on. <laughs> Moff Gideon makes a pretty good point about the crew being murderous savages. Why do they just kill everybody on the bridge? That is a everybody good question. who's. They didn't do anything. No prisoners. They're just working for them. Yeah. yeah. Why don't they hold them prisoner? Oh, well. There's no Did space... they fight back? I don't Apparently, there's exactly. no Space Geneva Convention. You can just do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, it's the... it's Well, it is the Wild West. I mean, it's that's... The dark, like, it's the Dark Ages out here. The, yeah. Gideon says that he studied all of Grogu's blood. He doesn't need him anymore. So why why won't he let him go? Well, yeah, he's he's still got to get out of there. He's got the dark saber. Plus, I he's fully aware that all his crew is gone, are gone. So, mm-hmm. you know, he has to negotiate for his life too. So, um, hope hoping the dark troopers can get. <laughs> what's the what's the ATM? Those guys. What what are they doing? <laughs> Oh, they're they're out for lunch. They'll be back soon. <laughs> They'll be back in a little bit. They gone fishing. They're gone. <laughs> God, I. <laughs> they wish. went down to the watering hole. <laughs> that sounds pretty funny. That sounds like a funny episode in that spinoff series. No. Of the dark troopers and how they were made. An episode I, of them fishing. <laughs> I think a much better spinoff thing might just be a full album from Ludwig Göransson in the style of the dark trooper theme. <laughs> That might be a lot more culturally the dark um, valuable. The stu- dubstep album? Yeah, that might be a lot more <laughs> valuable than um, this television idea. Just saying, because that that might Why be a new forefront of the, hip, of the hip-hop world, you know? <laughs> but Ludwig Gorenson's going to have to write all that music for the new show anyway, so why not just make both? Uh, you make a good point. Uh, I suppose. And this is... This is the first of many times I'm going to ask this question. Why don't they kill Gideon? Why doesn't he just kill him? Yeah, my, kill dad, was, my dad was saying that the whole time. He's just like, well, why don't you kill him? And I, uh, you know. Kill him. I don't know. That happens. Get him to shut up. All the time in every movie where there's like, a, you know, a big bad villain. And they're finally like confronting each other. And, you know, if if the whole point was to kill the guy... And then they just mm-hmm. don't. It feels a little weird. This happens a yeah. lot in superhero movies, where like they just end up right next to each other, or like yeah. Now I how don't come know. they kill everybody on the bridge? They kill all those random people, but they're yeah. like <laughs> Moff Gideon. You, I think maybe we're meant to meant to think that Mando is nice, and he didn't want to kill him. 
Perhaps. Well, there are a lot of other parts where there's just, like, some bandit, and he just ruthlessly kills him. Um, he has no respect for bandits, but... Oh, like, Sith what was that one where he's, like... I don't know, he leaves that guy to get eaten by all those, like, dog things? You remember that? He, like, hangs a guy around a lamppost and kind of just leaves him there and then walks away. That was in the beginning of one of the episodes here. Do you remember that? Oh, I don't remember that one. Oh, well, it, yeah, Oh, wait, that... wait, wait, wait. In the first episode, that little weird guy. Yeah, he was just like, yeah. <laughs> you, you <laughs> that bet. little critter. That little, little fella. All right, so then Mando brings Gideon back to the bridge. Gideon then starts sowing chaos. Another, you know, kill him before you can do this. He's like, that Darksaber, it belongs to you now. And I like how Bo-Katan, when he first shows up, he's like, what did you do? What happened? Because he has the Darksaber. Um, a little upsetting. So Bo-Katan can't take it. She has to win it, apparently. And the Darksaber apparently doesn't have any power. The power just comes from the story of it, which is kind of cool, I guess. Um, then all the dark troopers come back, and then they wait their, you know, arrival under the bridge. They're, they're, you know, near certain death. And then Luke shows up and kills all of the little scary guys. I'm not really an expert on the extended Star Wars lore, like the Clone Wars, Rebels, the comic book stuff. But I've heard that the Darksaber has been bloodlessly passed on before. So why do they have to... I mean, I guess it's like an interesting thing now that they're technically allies, but now they probably have to kill each other. <laughs> yeah, as I understand it, I think the whatever time it was before Moff Gideon got it, um, mm -hmm. it was handed over bloodlessly. And apparently, this might just be, I'm totally making it up, but I think the last time that happened, that was basically why Mandalore was so weak and then fell, was because, like, the there there was no faith in the, I guess it's monarchy, but in the whomever the ruler was, because the chain was broken, of, like, of honor was broken. So, that's why, question mark. Another point. So I think that Marvel and Star Wars are now really in the business of creating what I what I call these nerdgasm moments. Okay. In their TV shows and films. Example. The Darth Vader end of Rogue One. Yeah. Oh my God! It's Dar Darth Vader! Wow! And then the the portals opening in Endgame. Yep. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! Here they come! It's, it's those people. <laughs> Captain America from the Sandy. franchise. Then Luke, uh, he's 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 in the bridge. He's like, "Give me that kid." Maybe <clears throat> Yoda and Mando say goodbye. Story ends. Um, and that's so it. I've come back around on that Luke face thing. Yeah. The last time we talked about this, I was like, Ugh, "Gross." And then I watched it today, and I was like. Really isn't that bad. But then I rewatched again the part where he um talked or like moved at all. And it was just really, really weird. So I've done a full three sixty. Wow, you you went you went in a full circle. Um Yeah, <laughs> I mean when I saw that time I said that looks expensive. And you know, I agree. Uh you know, when he stands there it's like fine. It's fine. It kinda looks like the rendition 
of trying to make young Mark Hamill in a video game, like in Star Wars Battlefront 2, but slightly mm. better. Um, but when he moves his mouth, yeah. it's like, it's not right. Um, yeah. And, which is probably why they had Leia say one word. I think they should just get some guy who kind of looks like Mark Hamill. And apparently there's going to be a Sebastian Stan rendition of Luke at some point in whatever Star Wars spinoff they have next. That'd be fine. just started that year. Yeah. He looks enough like Mark Hamill. It's just like now that Grogu's over there. Like, is Luke now an established <laughs> character in the Mandalorian show? God, I hope not. Um, Pedro Pascal, no helmet. No helmet. Excellent job. What a nice mustache he has. <laughs> I think he should go helmetless more often. I think he probably will. And I think now that he's he's taking it off in front of Bill Burr, he took it off in front of all those guys, and then all the other Mandalorians he knows don't wear their helmets. Nope. So maybe he'll he'll get maybe he'll, he'll get kind of cool peer pressured. And ha- <laughs> yeah, he got he got whittled down. Now he's a different person. Um, for the second time, why is Moth Gideon still alive? What is he doing during this whole thing where Luke walks in? Is he just sitting there? Yeah, he's just sitting there. Well, I think... Does he know who Luke is? No. He must. Uh, maybe. I, I mean, at a point... I think he, everyone knows. He had his hand on a gun, right? I mean, on a blaster. He Does this happen before or after Luke comes in? Is it's, bef- it's before. before, because he, he dies to save the baby. Everett, I want to hear your generalized thoughts, and then we'll move into giving out awards for the season. All right, so we'll zoom out and think about it. Um, well, general thoughts. I would say, um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. Was it my favorite episode? Not really. But it was definitely up there, because I had the feeling at the beginning of the season, things were kind of slow. Um... It felt kind of forced, and some people complained about the first season because it was kind of um, separated and segmented, and there were, like, vignettes serialized, which was, like, fine, but this, at the beginning, felt like felt like too linear, very, uh, right, you know, on track, on rails, um, kind of boring, too, but this felt, like, much larger, and certainly almost even, you know, it was more than the first season, too. That was cool. You know, I was engaged the whole time. It felt like a movie, which is definitely a plus. Um, so overall, I thought it was cool. Uh, Luke didn't look that good. Grogu is gone. <laughs> but I liked it. I thought it was good. <laughs> I love Grogu. I love Baby. What did you think? It took a little bit to heat up. But once you get from the Ahsoka Tano episode to the... Um, episode where we see Boba Fett and Mando in Iraq for the first time in the Bill Burr episode and this episode. I feel like it kind of picked up speed around then. Um, and I thought that the the whole Marshall thing at the beginning was kind of stupid. And then the Frog Lady. I mean, Frog Lady is funny, but, you know. Yeah. They don't need to, they don't need to commit two episodes. But um, for specifically this episode, I thought it was pretty good. Um, what I liked about The Mandalorian from the beginning was that this is sort of a separated story from the original films and the sequel series and the prequel series where, I mean, we have baby Yoda using the force, but we didn't really have the Skywalkers a part of it. You know, there wasn't 
Darth Vader, there wasn't C-3PO. Um, nobody said I had a bad feeling about this. It just sort of felt like a different thing. And I think that's why it was so good in the beginning. But apparently now, we have all of these characters. Um, Boba Fett, Ahsoka Tano, um, and then Luke, briefly. Bringing all of that in sort of takes away some of the specialness about Mandalorian. And that it was sort of this separated thing from everything else. Um, but I feel like for Disney to capitalize off the popularity of this, they have to bring it into everything else because, you know, this is the, probably the best, I think since A New Hope, this is like the, you know, the Star Wars craze that used to happen when the original trilogy movies came out and when the sequel trilogies came out to some extent with those ones but yeah and you you could make the argument that this is the best star wars media since i mean i don't even know it's probably would you say it's better than the sequels and then i know a lot of people don't like rogue one i thought uh solo was cool but you know overall this is probably the best not the most engaging i mean the movies did since Empire. Yeah, I mean the movies did really well, but on a rank of like, mm-hmm. of fancy cinema, this definitely have, or even just like it's a yeah. coherent story that's actually interesting. This is way up there. It's like it's like it has the elements of fancy cinema, a coherent plot, um, but also selling a bunch of T-shirts and toys, which is important these days. Yeah, this is what they've been it trying to imp- do for like twenty years. They finally did it right. Yeah. When they gave it to Funny Man and Cowboy Hat. They give it to Dave Filoni and he's curly hair, curly haired chef guy. You say Dave Filoni, you they can take it, right. and his his little hand curls, and he says, "Finally, I'm ready to I'm, I'm ready <laughs> to win." I feel like Clone Wars was a little. It's a little more of a deep cut, but I think it it's in the same realm, you know, of being critically significant. Yeah. And it's you know. I didn't think Mandalorian was too much fan service either. No, and that's the know? that's the good thing. There are little itty bitty things, but one thing that people complained about in Rogue One was the fan service. You know, like why are C three PO and R two D two here, or you know, X Wing that that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. So um, with this, it, I mean, that happened a couple of times, but yeah, with this, as you were saying, most of the time it feels very grounded. Um, it's relatable. You know, despite, you know, well, you know what I mean. It's relatable because the characters are have human elements and aren't invincible, um, and also it's 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 more interesting. And I've said this before, but I really prefer to see um, the on the ground elements of like what is it like to live under a massive oppressive empire, and what it, would it be like when they're gone, um, or yeah, you know, I don't think people really care about the made-up politics in, like, this prequels, but it's interesting <laughs> to at least see how it affects normal people, and most of the time... And how the government works to some extent. Yeah, those stories are much more interesting than uh, occasionally. Than, the fate of the universe is in my hands. Right, than, like, oh, on no. the joystick to put the ion torpedoes in the ventilation shaft. So, But now, I guess... I don't know, we'll have to see, but, you know, from that, um, 
that Disney presentation that happened a few weeks ago that was like, here's every Star Wars thing that you're going to watch for the next 20 years. Yeah. Like, here's every show that's going to happen. And now they've captured lightning in the bottle with Mandalorian, and now they're going to just keep trying to figure it out. Yeah. Until they figure it out again. And, you know, who knows? Maybe Book of Boba Fett and Rangers of the New Republic and the Ahsoka Tano show and all that's going to be really super cool. But Yeah, I mean, honestly, when I looked at it, I my first thought was kind of like exhaustion already. Like, I looked at it and I said, yeah. I don't care. Except for the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie because I've been waiting for that. <laughs> Because that would be cool, because everyone likes Ewan McGregor, you know, he's mm-hmm. he's essentially uh, an idol for, you know, universally agreed that he did a great job, so. What a cool guy. Huh? What a great guy, so, but, you know, everything else, I was like, eh, okay, that's that's great, Disney, I'm, that, yeah, do do whatever. What if Disney was just like, you know what, Star Wars We've, we've got everything we can get out of this. We're done. We've we've milked this cash cow. It's, <laughs> and they're done. We have enough blue milk that we, we need from this. Oh, yeah. Would they ever do that? I used to think that, like, right when Rise of Skywalker was coming out and, like, right after it came out, I was just like, can we just be done with this at this point? I'm like, let's just finish this up. Yeah, well... <laughs> because it, this is, obviously isn't working anymore. It feels and tired until you have told all can... you can tell. Yeah. But this was like... A... And then you have some, something like Mandalorian comes out, but then they're going to run this into the ground too, probably. <laughs> it's possible, which is a fear of mine, that it immediately gets worse. Um, mm-hmm. Which could be, but we'll see. And that's that's what the Marshall was sort of like in the beginning, where I was like, uh-oh, this is boring, and I hate this. That was my first impression I wanna... immediately, too, was like, great, they they had it, and they, they had it. the magic, and now it's gone. Um, yeah. But fortunately... It was only half not And then great. Frog Lady brought me right back in. You know, I saw Frog Lady, and immediately my <laughs> and spirits I was like, turned. Star Wars is back. Star Wars. <laughs> Make it known. Has returned. Star Wars is back. <laughs> Frog Lady is here. <laughs> Frog Lady saved Star Wars. That's true. All right. On that note, Everett, I think we've discussed all we can about the Mandalorian. We have really exhausted this made-up Star Wars thing. Much like Disney will soon exhaust it. Precisely. Themselves. All right, Evan, it was a pleasure having you here. Oh I hope my you'll gosh. come back to discuss Thank you. other future properties in the future. Din- Disney intellectual <laughs> properties. I'll be there. <laughs> yes. I'll be there. Yeah, I'm the Disney beat for this program. <laughs> yes, sir. And we'll have you back to talk about Joe Biden at some point. I love Joe Biden. All right, Everett. Thanks. Get out of here. All right, so. 2020, almost over, was a pretty shit-tastic year. Everyone can agree on that. I mean, maybe there was a couple people who were like, I had a real damn good time in 2020. I got to read a lot of books. I mean, I don't know. I don't think you, you can say that at this point. I feel like that would be in poor taste. Pretty shit-tastic year, but uh, I had a lot of, I don't know, fun is the right word when you're sort of forced to do it. But anyways... I wanted to come up with a list of 20 things that I enjoyed this year, whether those are movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, got a couple YouTube channels on here. And these are things that weren't necessarily released in 2020. I know a lot of year-end lists people do are like that. 
I wanted to look at things that I enjoyed this year and give some recommendations to you guys in case you haven't seen any of these things. So yeah, I have 20 things on here and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start rattling them off. That's all right. First one is The Last Dance. That's the Michael Jordan documentary that came out this spring. Um, I feel like everyone watched this, so I don't know how much of a recommendation it is since everybody is aware of it. Um, it, you know, detailed Michael Jordan's career specifically, uh, his final season with the Chicago Bulls. Um, they sort of build it as like the last season of Michael Jordan, but technically he played a few more seasons in Washington. And I don't think you want to see a documentary about that because it was pretty sad. It showed people, from especially my generation who didn't see Michael Jordan growing up, why he was such a great player. Because he sort of, you know, held up in society or in sports society as the best NBA player of all time, which he is. But, you know, we don't really know why. And this documentary showed that, both from the way he eviscerated all other opponents, and but also his cultural significance, how big of a celebrity he was during that time. I thought it was an amazing 30 for 30 um, production. I think it's technically a 30 for 30. I'm not entirely sure. It's an ESPN film production, so it's from that same area. It's probably the best one they've made besides um, the OJ Simpson one, which I think is really good. It's another really long series um, within 30 for 30, but great. So that's the first one. Also, this isn't this isn't in particular order. This is just like I wrote them out. Second one is Let's Play Two. It's a documentary about Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam is one of my favorite bands. It was released in 2017, and it shows uh, a series of Pearl Jam concerts that happened during the Chicago Cubs uh, champion season in 2016. They played the two concerts at Wrigley Field uh, during the summer, and it shows you know Eddie Vedder's relationship to the Chicago Cubs and you know the band's relationship to that team. Um, it was also a great rendition of their songs, and here's one of the examples. These are a really cool moment during Jeremy, where he has the whole crowd involved in the song. It's like, I put that on repeat just to get really hyped um, before brushing my teeth or something. <laughs> All right, the third one is The Mandalorian, which has been discussed ad nauseum on this um, podcast in the two episodes we've already had. So I don't really need to discuss why I like The Mandalorian because I've already done that a lot. <laughs> but um, specifically for quarantine, it was a great watch. Two other brothers, mom and a dad living at home. Um, and the Mandalorian was like a great watch for us to not only have something to like come back to week for week, but also discuss in between. Um, we're all big Grogu fans here. Everyone loves that little green guy. He's so a little funny guy. The fourth one I have on here is the Almond Brothers. Um, nothing really specific of theirs, just like the entire band, every album. Um, it fits into the Southern rock genre, which is problematic. Um, but they were actually kind of cool. There weren't like Leonard Skinner that leaned into the cold Confederate thing. Almond brothers are like the woke part of Southern rock. So put that into perspective. I was aware of their music. Like everybody is, I think everyone's heard Ramblin' man, but not at this level. I sort of, 
listened to a lot of their albums. Um, my favorite songs of theirs are Melissa, Ramblin' Man, Ain't Wasting Time No More, and Jessica. I'll play Jessica here. Jessica's like a long jam song. It just, it's instrumental and just goes on. They also have some live albums that are pretty interesting, but they have like 20 minute renditions of all their songs. The fifth thing I have on here is another uh, music related thing. It's After Hours, the weekend album that came out in 2020. I think it's the weekend's best album so far. I, I wasn't really paying attention to the weekend when he first came out. I would think I was still listening to Radio Disney, and I don't think, you know, <laughs> I don't think they, they, they play the weekend on Radio Disney. Um, Blinding Lights was the song of the summer. I think there's a competition between that Drake song that came out this summer. Um, I forget what that's called. But yeah, Blinding Lights, awesome. The Grammy nominations for this were a real travesty. Like, apparently what happened is that CBS said you can either perform at the Grammys or perform in the Super Bowl. And because he chose Super Bowl, he can't... Um, I guess, be nominated for any awards. The Grammys are a sham. We all know this, but... Um, it's just the media industry loves to pat themselves on the back, which is, you know, cool for them, but... My favorite song from the album is In Your Eyes, especially um, that little saxophone solo. Okay, next I have The Crown Season 3, or Season 4, I think. Uh, I hadn't watched much of the show since its first season, but I was a big fan of um, Prince Charles. What a dick, huh? Everybody hates that guy now. Like, I feel like <laughs> if Prince Charles becomes the monarch, which, like, at any moment the queen could die and Prince Charles would be the next one, if he's the king, I feel like the British public will just, like, dissolve the monarchy because everyone hates Charles. Everyone hates what he did to Diana. They hate Camilla. Um, it was funny that they had to turn off their comments on social media so people couldn't harass them about um, their part <laughs> in driving Diana out of the um, royal family. I've been doing a Charles impression for a long time um, since this series came out. I uh, don't really want to do it right now. Okay, so this one's a little um, cerebral, but... <laughs> Philomena Kunk is a uh, character that's played on a BBC show. I don't know what the show is called. I just have found them somehow on YouTube. Um, if you search up Philomena Kunk, C-U-N-K, it's not a swear... Um, you'll find these really weird explorations into different parts of life. Like, they have episodes that are like, kunk on Shakespeare, kunk on democracy, and it's incredibly strange, incredibly cerebral. Um, I, I think it's supposed to be a satire of news, but I don't know 
what news <laughs> channel has a reporter like this, um, I check it out. The next one I have on here is Nora Ephron. I don't know why I made this recommendation, but uh, Nora Ephron is a screenwriter, and I think I don't know if she's a director, but she's at least a screenwriter. Um, she wrote When Harry Met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle. Great films. I'm a big rom-com guy, just like as a rule. Um, you know, I, I do a little bit of screenwriting, and for some reason, they always end up being rom-coms at the end, um, which is weird because I, I don't really have much experience with rom or com, to be to be honest. I'm a big Meg Ryan fan, and Meg Ryan is apparently Nora Ephron's muse. Um, Sleepless in Seattle, also check that out. Tom Hanks, amazing. The next recommendation on this list is the ESPN series 30 for 30. I've already talked about that sort of with The Last Dance. Um, but prior to this year, I'd, I'd already seen a lot of these shows. But I think um, in rewatching them, I sort of got into the, the filmmaking behind them. It's a really cool setup for a show. What they basically do, if you haven't seen them, is um, they pick a certain event in sports. And they say um, they try to find a director that can talk about it. So, like, it's all these, like, individual contained things. And it's not really, like, there's obviously a certain style to um, sports documentaries. But 30 for 30, every single one is, like, its own thing. Um, my favorite ones are Four Days in October, Last Days of Night. Um, Four Days in October is about Red Sox. Last Days of Night is about uh, Bobby Knight, the coach of Indiana University, I think. Um, you Don't Know Bo, which is about Bo Jackson, and King's Ransom, which is about uh, Wayne Gretzky's trade from Edmonton to Los Angeles. Um, and the next thing I have on here is the Lincoln Project. The Lincoln Project was a Twitter account. I think we've all heard about it at this point. Run by former Republican strategists who um, were trying to troll Donald Trump and promote Democratic candidates for the 2020 election. It's a really important piece of 2020 politics and political humor. Um, I think they got into Trump's head several times. People have, like, sources from within the White House have talked about how Trump paid attention to the Twitter feed of the Lincoln Project, and every time they would, like, get a really good attack on him, he would get sidetracked for, like, a couple of days trying to deal with the Lincoln Project's attack. So, it obviously played a role in uh, the, you know, campaigns in 2020. Um, a lot of well-produced ads also. I really liked the one that they had um, right before Election Day that was America the Beautiful was the soundtrack um, with uh, Ray Charles singing. The next one I have on here is The Defiant Ones. It was an HBO documentary that was released a few years back about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine, who are, if you don't know, music producers. Um, they created Interscope Records and Beats Headphones. Pretty cool. Uh, it was an interesting look at the music industry and also entrepreneurship. I didn't really know a lot of the intricacies of music producing. And I think if you're interested in that, um, really check this out. They also, you know, these two producers have dealt with um, or have played like a major role in the success of some of the biggest artists from the 80s, uh, 70s, 90s, 2000s. Um, like they discovered Eminem. They discovered... Um, uh, Snoop Dogg, um, Stevie Nicks did her first solo album with these guys. Um, 
Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, they've all worked with these people, um, with these two guys. So it was just a really interesting, interesting documentary and a lot of good tunes in it, so check it out. The next one is Revisionist History, which is a podcast series by Malcolm Gladwell. He's an author, worked for The New Yorker for a while, and I think he's primarily known these days for this podcast. He really makes these like mundane things like very, very interesting and like important. Um, my favorite episodes of the show are Free Brian Williams, The King's Prayer Praxis, The King's Parapraxis, and A Good Walk Spoiled. I would check those three out. Next one I have on here is Ocean's Eleven. Um, at the beginning of 2020, I was writing this thing for my high school. Every year we had this thing called a senior video, which is sort of this comedic film, like short little movie that has a lot of inside references to the school. I was basing it off of Ocean's Eleven, trying to do like a heist sort of thing. Um, so I watched all of those movies several times, um, and it's a very good series. It's actually really underrated. It has like these amazing A-list actors in it. Like um, George Clooney is the lead. Then there, you got Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, and Julia Roberts. Those are the four leads in the movie. All right, the next thing on this list is Click Productions. It's this YouTube channel that does 2K My League simulations. If you don't know what 2K My League is, it's this mode within the um, NBA 2K video game where you can sort of set up your own version of the NBA. You can change players' skill levels. You can um, add different teams in. You can move teams around. Um, and this guy does, you know, these career simulations. Uh, for example, this player who played for the Celtics in the, in the 2000s, uh, Brian Scalabrini, um, he made him a 99 overall player, which is like the best you can have in 2K and simulated his career, like, what it would look like if he was, like, LeBron James level. Um, so he does those kind of things, and he also... I think he was doing a series earlier this year where he would he went back to, like, the um, 2000s and simulated the NBA over again and just, like, saw, like... Um, it was just, like, an interesting look at what can happen if you change things around in the NBA, like what careers would look like, what different players would, um, you know, whether or not Derrick Rose would win another uh, MVP or win a championship. Um, so, yeah, check that out. Another one on here, another YouTube channel is John Boy Media. Um, it's a sort of a baseball-centric uh, YouTube channel. Um, the thing I like about it, it has these different videos that analyze uh, baseball fights and how they sort of started. Um He's a like a really really good lip reader, so he can like tell based off of the uh, broadcast what different players are saying to each other and what like the 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 umpire is saying. He actually did a a series. I think I wasn't sh I'm not sure if it came out before um, the Houston Astros cheating scandal was revealed, but he really broke down exactly um, you know different instances where you can clearly hear in the broadcast them banging on the trash can to reveal different signs. Um, it was really interesting. Another final YouTube channel recommendation on this is Tim Tracker. So if you know me, you know I'm a huge Disney Parks fan. I'm a huge fan of this guy, Tim Tracker. He does um, these different uh, vlogs of uh, Disney Parks and Universal Parks and shows like updates to them, 
shows what the rides are looking like, and especially during this COVID era where um, Disney is technically open right now. He's showing like the different um, safety things they have in place and what the crowds look like. Come on the show, Tim Tracker, if you if you'd like, if you can hear this, if this gets to you, come on the show. I'd love to have you. Um, next one is the Ryan Rosillo podcast. Ryan Rosillo is a sportscaster. He's formerly from ESPN. Um, now he works for the Ringer. He co- um, covers um, all different sports, mainly football and basketball, um, both at the professional and college level. Something that I've liked um, in his show that he started doing recently are these weird life advice segments at the end of his shows. Uh, people will like send in emails to him about the questions they have with relationships or uh, their job or their career or different things. And he responds with these like with these really funny but also really insightful um, responses to their questions. Um, I check that podcast out and especially his life advice segments. Next thing I have is the um, Bruce Springsteen live album. Uh, earlier um, this year, I discovered his really famous live album. It's called Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band Live 1975 to 85. I'm a huge Springsteen fan, and this album shows 10 years of the best um, performances of his, all of his greatest songs. Um, my favorite track on it, though, is not a Bruce Springsteen song. He does this amazing rendition of um, This Land is Your Land, like the classic American folk patriotic song. Um, this really cool rock and roll version of it. So yeah, I'd check that out if you're a big, if you're a Springsteen fan, and also if you're just a, you know, fan of classic rock. It's a really interesting um, album. Next recommendation. This is the second to last one. Almost over. Um, is Armchair and Dangerous? It's this podcast that's sort of an offshoot of um, Dax Shepard's series, uh, Armchair Expert. It's hosted by Dax Shepard, Monica Padman, and also this journalist David Ferrier who covers. Um, he's an Australian journalist that covers, uh, conspiracies. Um, so he's like big on QAnon. He's not actually a supporter of QAnon, but he explains what it is. So if you want to know all of that batshit crazy stuff, listen to this podcast. Um, they did an episode on mole children, which is apparently another conspiracy that there are children who are being held underground. I don't want to get clicks on this from weird conspiracy people, but um, it's interesting to check it out. I don't want people to check it out and then subscribe to those beliefs, but it's a cool look at these different conspiracy theories and why they take hold in society. And this final recommendation is an, sort of an important one to me. It's, the other ones have been like light and funny, but um, this one's had like a profound impact. Um, earlier this year, as we all know, Kobe Bryant, the NBA player, um, passed away in that horrific plane crash, helicopter crash, actually. Um, so he wrote a book, it's called, um, Mamba Mentality, How I Play, I think that's the title of the book. Um, and, you know, it has all of these, you know, insights into his basketball career specifically. This is really interesting stuff if you're, if you're an NBA fan. But also just like the guy was, he had like a very legendary work ethic and he tells you exactly what he did and says, you know, 
all this really cool inspirational stuff and I've adopted a lot of it into my life and I think it's helped me you know succeed more academically it's part of the reason why I try to trying to do this show um, and trying to make it the best thing it can be because his whole philosophy is just like be the best version of yourself you can be and from that book I got a lot of that so I, I it's a huge recommendation if you guys are at all a fan of the NBA or you know need a little uh, I guess pep talk from time to time I check it out I read it once and then I keep returning to it over and over again um, it's a really cool book so check it out so that's the episode for today thanks for listening um, thanks to Everett Beals for coming on this show um, hope you ha- hope you all had um, you know hopefully not a horrible 2020 I know it was horrible for everybody but hopefully you know you're healthy hopefully um, you're in a safe economic position and um, you know 2021 is definitely gonna be better so um, we're nearing the end there's light at the end of the tunnel um, we'll see you next week we'll have um, a look at the Georgia runoff elections hopefully there's some results there that we can look at um, yeah so thanks for listening and um, that's it bye <laughs>